Um, and, and I really have a, a again, I, I feel like God is really just kind of situating this season in this moment. Um, and and you, hear, you, you hear about Tia's, uh, her calling and what's going on, and then you, you see what happens um, with our team in Kenya and what they were exposed to, and then you see what's going on in the book of Acts. And I really just, I couldn't shake it this week thinking about who's next? Like out of this circle, David even challenged us with that two weeks ago. Like who's next? Like our prayer, like we are begging God for some of you to say, I'll go. Um, we're, we're great senders, and we should be. Uh, but who among us will go? Like who among us will say, yes, I'll step into hard places. I'll step into um, places where Jesus is not known. Um, and I say that because of where we're going to be today and what we're going to be talking about today in, in the text um, if you want to flip there, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. If you have a Bible or a device that you look at your scriptures on, that's where we're going to be. And if you haven't picked up on it, um, you'll begin to notice today as we move forward through this text, through the book of Acts, if you've, if you've ever sat down and actually read the book of Acts, um, you'll, it'll, it'll become very uh, evident here that the book, uh, this book, and I've already mentioned this, that it becomes extremely repetitious. Um, and we're going to start seeing some of that even today, that you, as you get to the back half of this book, you, it seems like the same stories are being said over and over and over. The same sermons are being preached. The same stories are happening. The same moments are happening. It just, it's just happening in a different city, but it's the same thing. It feels like you're just reading it over and over. Um, and so I thought a lot about that this week. You know, I thought a lot about, like, that makes preaching through the book of Acts very difficult because it's like I feel like I'm standing up here and David's standing up here and Trent's standing up here and Joey's standing up here every, you know, week and we're sitting here telling you the same things. And, and it's like one of these days you guys are going to get fed up with that. And it's like, yeah, we got to hear something else, you know. Uh, but I think what I hope, what I've realized this week and what I hope you'll realize this week uh, as we look at this is that repetition isn't something that we should recoil from. It isn't something that we should run away from or try to, try to uh, prohibit from, from coming against us because, uh, it, honestly, I think it's something we need to embrace. There's actually something quite profound, I believe, that God is showing us in, in this kind of repetitious uh, acts, acts that we see in this book as we go through here, as, as he sees. Like, I, think about, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this week and thinking about, okay, we're going to fix the same thing over and over again. Um, I had this teacher uh, when we were, I don't know if they still do this. Uh, do y'all even, does kids even uh, get um, punished work anymore where they have to write? Does anybody know? I don't, we used to have to write a bunch of stuff over and over and over and over and over and over. I don't know if that happens anymore. I know you guys don't, but like kids or whatever. Um, and so uh, what, what would happen, I had this one teacher, and he was, uh, he was, he was just this uh, guy who loved the guy and everything, but every time we would get a little rowdy and rambunctious in the class, he would threaten us with timetables. I'm going to, hey, if you guys don't quit it, if you don't cool it, if you don't you know, stop punching your neighbor across the aisle or whatever, I'm going to make you write your timetables 10 times each to, to, all the way to 12. That's what he'd always And we, we would start mocking him because of that, because that was always his go-to. Like, I'm going to make you write your timetables 10 times each all the way to 12. And uh, so I was thinking about that, you know, and just in math in general. Like, it's this repetitious thing that we, that we do so that it, it just automatically comes to us when we look at it. When I look at 2 times 2, I know it's 4, right? Like, it's just it's, it's re- this repetition that that's how we learn math. Or I think about even in, even in marriage, for those of you who are married, you'll know um, that if you've been married for any time that um, your, your marriage isn't strengthened necessarily on those high moments uh, in, in your marriage, but it's, it's this everyday repetition of learning how to say I'm sorry, learning how to repent, learning how to ask for forgiveness. That's where your marriage, I, I've learned to ask better questions in my marriage. Used to, I used to ask like, what's wrong with you? And now the question is, what's wrong with me, right? I've, I've matured in that a little bit and I kind of start thinking about that, but uh, it, it's in those small moments that, that, that our marriage is strengthened, right? It's not in those, on those, in those high places of our marriage, those big moments, so much as it's just a daily grind of learning how to serve one another and love one another to Christ. Uh, it's where our marriage gets strong. And, and i be honest with you, I don't think one of you in this room got up this morning, walked out of your house and said, OMG, look at the sun, it's up again, right? None of us did that. We just got up and it was just the sun there, right? And it wasn't a big deal. But there's God's majesty on display every single day. And if we weren't without it, we would not exist. We would wake up dead. That's what would happen to us. 
Um, and so it's those, those, those repetitious things uh, that are very, very important. I think God wants to show something to us. Like he wants to teach us something in those moments of, of repetition. And through the back half of this book, what I think you and I are going to see is that he, he, is, he is very, very serious about communicating to you and communicating to me who he is and what his mission is. Right? And so I think it's just we're going to see this over and over again because God wants you and me to know who he is and he wants you and me to know what his mission is about. What, what, what does he intend for this world? What does he intend for us who follow him? Communicating to us that he's very, very committed to the ongoing work of the spread of the gospel, of moving towards this world that's torn by sin and death. He's very serious about us understanding that uh, and, and, and getting that. And so they're not meaningless. These repetitions, they're not meaningless. So, so church, I know a lot of you here are visitors, um, and so you'll kind of hear this for the first time uh, maybe in, 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 a, in a while. But the ones, those of you who are family who've been coming every week, uh, right, I, I, I want to beg you not to check out through the back half of this book. This is very important. God wants to teach us something. Uh, he wants to drive home uh, his heart uh, for the nations and, and, and for our neighborhoods. And so we need this. I'll tell you that. Humanity in general, we need this. Um, because here's, here's what I know. As, a, as one of the pastors of this church, what I long for is that the heart of this church would become God's heart, right? That we would seek to know what God's heart is for this neighborhood and for the nations, and then that our heart would become that. Because honestly, I, I'll just tell you, a lot of times those things don't look the same. A lot of times the church's heart does not look like God's heart. It looks like something else, right? It just does not look like where God's going and moving in the world. And so I pray and hope that that would be uh, what, what, we're, I, what our identity is as a church, is that whatever God, whatever your heart is in this season, whatever your heart is for this neighborhood, that's what we want our hearts to be. That's what we want to be about. And so it's meant to, this repetition that we see God uh, giving to us is meant to drive us ultimately to worship God, ultimately to see him as glorious and worship him. And also to see that he's really, really, really serious about his glory. He's really serious about the salvation of all nations, of all people groups. No matter where they're at or who they are, he's serious about it. And so two weeks ago, David had uh, introduced that first missionary journey that, that, that started at the church at Antioch. Uh, and we were able to see it in this moment like the, the very center and the very heart of the gospel. We've seen church leadership. They were praying and they were fasting uh, and they were spending time together uh, w- with the Lord. And, and then the Spirit came and said, set apart for me these two guys. I have some work planned for them and I want them to walk in that. And church, you need to be a part of sending them. And so you understand going and sending and why it's necessary that Tia would come and say, I need partners. Because Scripture says that we don't go unless the church sends, right? And so we, we're, we're, we're about that. It's, a, it's very, very serious. And, and if you're in the room today and you're an unbeliever, you would say that you're not following Jesus, that, that you may be or you're just skeptical. Um, I hope you'll see the heart of Jesus today in this passage. That's what I pray for most, that you would just get to see Jesus today in this, in this word. And I know, um, I know for a fact uh, some of you in the room uh, may be in this season of doubt. Like you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but man, it's just, you're just not, he just doesn't feel close, man. You don't, you, don't, you don't hear from him. He feels like he's a million miles away from you right now. And I want more than anything with our time in the Word today uh, is to, to use this opportunity as an invitation back to Jesus. I want you to see him. I want you to be reminded of how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. And I want this to be an invitation back to him. He is our true and greater missionary. Jesus is the greatest missionary. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And I wanted to point that out so that we know, uh, and w- w- it goes without saying, we're not the inventors of this mission. We're not the creators. We're not the, the schemers of, of this missio day. God is. God is the author of this, of this mission. And there's two major things that we need to pick up on that are vital to understanding God's mission in the world. Two big things. One, like God is the one who empowers. 
We see that throughout Scripture. When we were walking through the book of John over the last several years, when we were in chapter 14 and 15, uh, verse 26 of four, uh, chapter 14 said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see that empowering happen there. And then in chapter 15, he would say, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And when we see it kind of culminate in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so God is the one who empowers. It's his mission, and he's the one who gives the fuel to drive us toward the mission. And he is the one who sends. You see that all throughout those texts. He sends. He sent his son, the greatest missionary, Jesus Christ. He sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to send and to go. And we saw that when David opened up Acts chapter 13. In verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so being, at, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And the book of Acts is the result. This book of Acts that we're going to finish going through is the result of God empowering and God sending the church as he has promised in his word. This is the result of what God does. In the book of Acts. And one particular instance we saw um, as we closed out the, the chapter, uh, the last, where, where, we, where we're going to pick up today, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 12, we see this specific uh, instance where this intelligent proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who had put his faith in Jesus, and he said the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and for, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so now moving through the remainder of Acts, moving through the remainder of this book, we're going to see over and over and over again the power of the Spirit working through the church to see multitudes put their faith in Jesus. And this is the continuation. What we see here today is a continuation of that, is that the Holy Spirit empowering and sending people to go and proclaim a message of good news to people who don't know Jesus that they would put their faith in him. They would name him as Savior and put their faith in him and follow him. And, and that's just a continuation of the story and will be so until Christ returns. That's the reality. And so, how are we doing in this area? Like, I, I don't want to make any bones about it. Like, this is a good thing, right? This church coming together, uh, the fellowship of the believers, worshiping the Lord together. Uh, but but how, would you, how are we doing in the department of proclaiming the gospel to people who don't know Jesus so that they too might put their faith in him. I want to read the, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty lengthy passage, but I want to read it so we get the context of what's going on. So we're going to be in chapter 13 of Acts, starting in verse 13. We're picking up where David left off two weeks ago. You could follow along. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God, of this, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with, with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet and then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God had brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, 
But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. I am worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that, the good, that, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it was written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as, for the f- and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not See corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be, astound, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we... um, we thank you for your word. Now, Father, would you, um, would you do what you set out to intend in your word, and that is to transform hearts and minds to see you as glorious and as beautiful as anything that we would ever, um, ever encounter. So, Father, would you do that in these moments? Um, we love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the structure of this sermon, basically, that he preached, and I know it was kind of long, and uh, it was a gospel message. Uh, really, I could have probably just sat up here and talked, read that, and we could have closed out, but I like to talk more, and so we're going to try to get through this quicker, but I have some more things to say about it. Um, and what I'm going to do, really, today is, uh, since we're going to hit, the, we've already hit this sermon once whenever we saw Stephen preaching it, uh, and we're going to see it a thousand more times throughout the book of Acts, uh, I want to give a lot of application today about, um, about what's, what's, what we're seeing in Scripture, just kind of what is the, the rhythm going on here, but also for us. Also, like, Tia, you're here, and you're fixing to step into a major walk with God, like a, a faithful step, um, and I, I may discourage you today. You might change your mind after that. I don't know. I hope not. I hope that you're encouraged in the Lord and the Word, and anyone else who might think that they're going to follow Jesus on mission um, some things that we, we kind of see in Scripture, some things that we see as a result of saying yes to Jesus. Um, and so that's, that's where we're at. And we saw in Stephen's sermon in chapter 7 this, this normal presentation. It's becoming more and more normal in the New Testament. Um, and we saw that, in, it, like I said, with Stephen's sermon. We saw here in, in, in the way uh, Paul lays out his sermon in verse 16. He just kind of gives us introduction. Basically, he just addresses uh, the, these men and say, hey, 
listen up, everybody. And he calls on the Jews because he knows they're there. And he calls on the other people who, hey, you, you believe in Jesus. Like you, you put your faith in Jesus. So he's kind of addressing the, those who are in the room, the Jews and the Gentiles. And then he'll take the next few verses, 17 through 22, and he'll lay out this historical review of, of God's work in history. And that's exactly what Stephen did. They were trying to come at Stephen saying, you're, you're, you're defaming the, the temple, you're defaming the law. And Stephen would say, no, 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 let me give you a history lesson. Like, I'm going to walk through all of the Old Testament, and then I'm going to point out how you guys have blown it at every turn, and now you want to hold me accountable to something that you don't even follow or you don't even abide by. And so uh, Paul is coming at the Jewish audience when he's, when he's spending this time going through this historical Old Testament um, account in verses 17 through 22. And then picking up in tw- verse 23, the structure kind of changes a little bit, and he starts talking some, he makes some New Testament announcements, right? He starts talking about uh, the God of the Old Testament, the one that you guys all know so well. You know all about him, all of his, all of, you know all about the law and all about the prophets. Well, guess what? He's the same God today. He's the same God who, who has, is, is in charge of all the things that are happening today. He's the same God uh, who sent his son, Jesus. And so he starts making this announcement, and he's doing that specifically for the Gentile audience. He knows that you know, they, they're necessarily not as steeped in, in, in uh, Jewish history like the, the Jews would be. So he's, he's taking this New Testament announcement um, for this Gentile audience. And then he'll spend 30, verses 32 to 37 uh, just kind of giving some supporting text. Like, here's what I mean when I say this. He's using the Bible to support his claims, uh, which is what all good preachers should do. We shouldn't, you know, Google things and pull things off of YouTube to try to prove our claim. We should use Scripture because it is very sufficient to back itself up. And that's what, that's what Paul does in verses 32 through 37. And then in 38 and 39, he just makes the gospel proclamation, Right? Here's the, here's the gospel. Um, and then he would conclude in verses 40 through 41. And these sermons, are they don't have really good, soft conclusions a lot of times. Like Stephen would even say, you guys know what I'm talking about? You bunch of stiff neck, no good. He starts calling them names, and that's kind of what gets him killed. So he's got to work on his conclusions a little better in his sermon uh, deliverance, deliveries, but he can't anymore. But it, it's, it's he, you know, our conclusions are a bit different, right? Like we try to... But these guys just call them to repentance, man. They just, that's what it is. You hear the gospel, you, you see who Jesus is, repent. You know, and that's, that's, that's really the message for all of us, right? We, see, we hear the gospel. We come in, in contact face-to-face with Jesus. That's our response. That's what it should be. And God, we see throughout this, is sovereignly saving people by opening their eyes, opening their hearts to see the beauty and the worth of Jesus and that's what we see throughout this, the, the rest of this book of Acts. Jesus is continuing to save people and to heal people. Jews and Greeks, these two opposing ends are coming together in worship together. They're becoming one family together. That's a beautiful thing, forming these Christian communities. And there's another very, very sobering reaction, I believe, that is becoming more and more normal as these sermons are preached. And this is kind of where we're going to go the rest of our time uh, just to kind of give a flyover of what's going on in in the back half of this book. Um, These sermons are being preached, and some people are putting their faith in Jesus. They're seeing him as beautiful and glorious, and they want to follow him. And then there's a different response from another group of people, and they, um, they end up persecuting the preacher, right? They, even to the point of death. So there's, there's one side of the room that's, whose reaction is, yes, I'm following Jesus. And there's the other side of the room that's saying, I want you dead for what you said. I want you to stop saying those things. I find that very, very interesting. Like, I realize that we're talking about Paul here, the Apostle Paul, the rock star of Scripture. I know we're talking about that guy. And so what application does this missionary story have to do with you? What application does this story and these stories that we'll see have to do with me? Because we're talking about Paul, man. And he's like, like next to Jesus, he's like the number two or three, right? Like he's up there, man. Most of you, I realize, are not called to plant churches, to become elders and pastors and deacons of churches. I, I, I realize that. I know that for many of you, man, you're just trying to figure out how to do life, man. You're figuring out how to keep a steady job. You're figuring out how to raise a decent family. You're trying to figure out how to date your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a way that honors Christ. 
Um, and, and like, what in the world, Blake, could this passage possibly have to do with me? What does this missionary story possibly have to do with me? And, and we're not the Apostle Paul, right? So you're off the hook for having to write the sequel to Romans. We don't have to do that. The first one is sufficient. None of us are Paul. And so I, I get that. I understand that. Not everyone is going to be called to church leadership uh, in this way. Not everyone's going to be called to, to go into a, a hard-to-reach place in the world. But here's what you have to get about the mission of God. If you, you must get this. All of us who are in Christ are his witnesses. Every single one of us who follow Jesus, who name the name of Jesus as our Savior, you are a witness, which makes you no less or no more than the Apostle Paul. He was just a witness. He was a witness to Jesus. And that's who we all are. Jesus calls you to so much more than just getting saved. He calls you to so much more than just to going to heaven when you die. But that you're to be a witness in the world. That you're to speak the name of Jesus to people who don't know him. And you're supposed to put on display the gospel in the way you love this world. And when he saves you, he saves you for salvation unto his mission, right? And so we're here to serve Jesus in our salvation. We're here to proclaim his name. And I just want you to consider like Jesus' earthly ministry. Think about the, the, like how he did his ministry. You would see over and over Jesus would move constantly toward the lost and he would constantly move toward the broken in a way where people would even say, you're a friend of sinners. Like you go eat with tax collectors you go eat with those people. That's, that's, that was his ministry. That's what Jesus did. He gravitated all the, all the time to those people. And so if you and I are going to walk with Jesus, where in the world do you think he's going to lead us? This is good right here. What about your lost and broken friends and neighbors around you, the people you work with? That's the, those are the people that he naturally gravitated towards. And if we're going to say, I follow Jesus then that's where we're headed. So you need to kind of look around your circle. Are there lost and broken people in your circle? There should be. You're their only hope with the good news of, of the gospel. And so normal Christianity is just listening to Jesus and walking with Jesus. That's what normal Christianity looks like. Where is Jesus leading me? What is he saying to me? And how do I follow? How do I obey him? How do I say yes to him? It means that you're going to spend your time with people who are far from God because that's where Jesus goes. And when we follow Jesus, that's where, he, that's where we're going to go. You're going to be with the sick. You're going to be with the hurting. You're going to be in those dark places like, like Cyprus and like Pisidia and like Lystra and like North Sulphur and like uh, these homes across your street and in your neighborhood. That's where you're going to find yourself when you say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you to the lost and to the broken. And so if you're not moved today by the, by the words that we sing and if you're not moved today by the fellowship of these believers, if you're not moved today by this, by this word, if you're not sensing a, a presence of God in your life, if you are no longer impressed with Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, let me suggest that you may be walking with Jesus without actually going in the direction that Jesus is going. We love to do that all the time. We love to name the name of Jesus, and he's going that way, and I'm going this way. And then we're like, man, God just, I just feel empty. I feel like there's this void, like God's not saying anything to me. I don't feel his presence. I don't know what's going on. I used to hear God real close. I used to, I used to could, could sense where he was leading, and now I don't even hear from him. He feels like he's a million miles away. And it's likely because you're not walking where, in the places where he's walking. You're not going to the places that he's going. Or maybe, maybe you don't even give a rip. You're not considered considering at all you haven't prayed at all about what God's heart is for you maybe you just flat out ignoring that altogether and you're just like I know that if I turn an eye or an ear to, to that what he's going to do with me and I don't want any part of it Christians do that all the time I've done it it happens and if this is you the more and more you walk in a different direction from Jesus, or maybe not even prioritize where he's going, this disconnect, this, this, this lack of his presence, it will become more and more defined in your life. It'll become more and more defined that I, I'm completely disconnected from God right now. 
And we're living in this really remarkable time in, in, in the history where uh, the church functions kind of like a social gathering. And it's, 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 it's really weird. Um, we just kind of like it's a, it's a gathering that we can go to and leave from. That's kind of how Western Christianity works today. Um, and it's very, very odd and very, very different from the New Testament church. We see like the New Testament church like every day doing life together, going through hardships together, celebrating together. Like it was just kind of like a family, right? And, and today, this is kind of like you're going to come here today. You're going you're gonna to hear a message preached. You're going to sing some songs. We're going to say some prayers. And then you're going to leave from here. And it's like there's, a, there's this weird thing going on here. And I believe that you, one of the other ways that we might feel disconnected, if you had that disconnected feeling in your heart, and from, like I'm, Jesus is far from me right now, or I'm far from Jesus right now, is he calling you? Is he calling you at work? Is he calling you in the neighborhood that you're a part of to walk with him towards those who are hurting and lost? The thing about being a, a Christian, the thing about Christianity in general, is that it's not just this intellectual adherence to a bunch of doctrines. See, we get, really, we, we get really confused sometimes to think that if I believe a lot of the things, if I know a lot of the things and, and a lot of the right doctrines, then I'm going to be a good Christian, right? And doctrine is very, very important. That's how we know who God is, right? And so that's very, very important. But it's also like a, it should lead to a real relationship with the resurrected Lord. Like, that we're, I'm walking with Jesus. He's, he's my Savior. He's my friend. And, and I do life with him. And, and I do life with his people. And that's how I, that's how I stay connected to Jesus. It's through, through uh, the, the community of believers that I'm a part of. And, and here's the deal. And we don't use this term very often, especially in our context. But he is our master. He's our master and we are his servants. That's, that's, that's how it is. Therefore, we, we follow wherever he's going. It's like, it's not optional. We follow him wherever he goes because he is the master. And so whether you're a math teacher, whether you are a nurse or a waitress or an attorney or a construction worker or a banker, I don't know what your background is, the mission of God that flung Jesus into the world that drew you near by his grace now has called you to participate in this same mission of drawing near to, the, to those who are far from God with the hope of Jesus. That's just, that's who we are. That's what we're marked by. This is what we're called to. And I often, listen, I get it, and I even experience it at times, just how difficult it is to, to actually walk in step with Jesus. Like, I understand that. And so I don't want to say something to you, and it seemed like, man, that just seems totally out in left field, Blake. I, I can't like, I can't get there, you know. You might, but I, and I'm telling you, I experience it too. It's, it's very, very difficult to walk and step with Jesus in this way. I'd rather not do it, man. I'm telling you, I would rather stay right here and develop some cool programs and some cool ministries that we could do right here and not go out there. That's what I would prefer. That's what my flesh would prefer. This isn't where Jesus is. Jesus is moving towards the lost, the hurting, the broken, and they exist out there. And so it's work. It's difficult. It's hard. But it's necessary for the sake of Jesus. And I know it's hard. The minute we step towards God, toward his mission, that there's going to be opposition and attack. I'm here to tell you I've experienced it. The minute you say yes to Jesus, just taking one step, there's so much opposition that's going to come your way. And it's almost guaranteed. Jesus would even say, like, you want to follow me? Dude, it's going to be so hard. Man, it's going to be so hard. And so that's what, that's what I'm here to tell you. That's what I'm here to tell you. It's hard, man. It's not always easy. Whoever else might go and follow Jesus with their life, it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. And here we have a Paul and a Barnabas who constantly comes up against conflict and constantly comes up against re rejection. Constantly. You'd see it in verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and, and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now we get that little snippet right there. John left them and went to Jerusalem. And we don't get anything else until you get further in the book and you realize that that was a big deal. That was going to be such a big deal that Paul and Barnabas would say, we're not working together anymore. You go your way and I'm going my way. That's how big of a deal this moment was. 
And we'll get there later on in the book of Acts. But this was, this was John Mark. This is who this is referring to. He was the traveling companion of, of Paul and Barnabas. Um, he would eventually write the Gospel of Mark, which is really the Gospel of Peter. He was the scribe for Peter, and so it's been coined the Gospel of Mark. We don't pick up on it right here, but later on in Acts, we'll learn that this was a pivotal moment and would lead to the separation of Paul and Barnabas. They would have such a sharp disagreement that they said, we can't work together anymore. You go do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and that's how we'll roll. And so they weren't willing to travel anymore. These two like powerhouses of the New Testament church had that sharp of a disagreement because they faced rejection in this moment, and it was likely aimed toward Paul, which is why he was probably so angry and bitter about it. That something was going on, and John Mark, when he said, I'm out, after one town, he checks out. Paul's the one that becomes enraged because Paul felt some of that. He felt like it was a rejection to him. And so we don't know for sure exactly what the, what the issue was, but we know that Paul was deeply, deeply wounded by this moment that John Mark would bail on him and the mission, and he would have trust issues with him for a while. So following Jesus will sometimes mean that you take the gospel very, very seriously. Like you're really in the word and you're really spending time with Jesus and you really want him to make a difference in your life and you start growing in repentance and you start growing in obedience and maybe your spouse or your significant other, not so much. What do you do with that? I guarantee it's happening to a lot of you in the room right now. I guarantee a lot of you are facing this right now. What do you do with that? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to his word. Paul and Barnabas would face opposition from evil people like Elimas. We saw that. David shared that with us in verse 8 of this chapter. They faced opposition from people of influence. We saw that and when the, at verse 50. They went and found important people and, and pitted them against Paul and Barnabas. Next, next week, Trent's going to show us they're going to form, they're going to, they're going to feel some, some, uh, some opposition and some rejection in the form of, of idolatry. Uh, and what, what, uh, basically when they, when they go into this next town and they preach the gospel, people would look at them and say, that's Zeus, man, that's Hermes. And they start worshiping them as gods. And so the, the, the temptation is to kind of give in to that, right? To, to kind of say, yeah, we're pretty awesome. Right? That's the, that's the temptation, but they don't fall for it. And that is a form of opposition. Make no bones about it. People wanting to put you on a pedestal, or even worse, you wanting to get up on a pedestal, is an affront to the gospel. And it's an attack, and it's opposition. It's not a good thing. And we'll see that next week. And, and just to maybe state the obvious, opposition is going to come in the form of, of Paul uh, getting hit on his head with rocks until they hope he's dead from it. Like, that's obviously opposition there. So this is the powerhouses of the New Testament church. These are people who are closer to the Jesus than I can ever dream about being. And this is what's happening to them. This is what's going on when they preach the gospel, when they just tell the good news of Jesus. This is the reaction. And so we make up, here in the West, we like to make up little cute sayings like, you know, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Or God don't give you more than you can handle. Let me present to you the story of the most amazing missionaries in the history of the church. And you tell me that God don't give you more than you can handle. You tell me that the safest place to be is in the will of God. And I'll show you these two cats who will say, no, <laughs> that's the most dangerous place to be is right dead in the center of God's will. But it's, there's no better place to be on the face of the earth than right there. Paul loved Jesus. He wrote most of the New Testament following Jesus wherever Jesus would call him. And it's so hard. Man, it is so hard for Paul to follow Jesus. Following Jesus can bruise you. It can draw blood from you. That's what we see in the New Testament church. And sometimes this suffering is going to come in the form of rejection. It's going to come in the form of ridicule. But he's worth it. He's worth every bit of it. And he's not the means. And so many churches and so many people are going to tell you this garbage that, you know what, Jesus is the means to your longings and your desires. You follow Jesus and you're going to get the things that you're, that, that's going to satisfy you. No, 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 Jesus is the end. Like, he's not the means. He's the one who satisfies. He's the one who is going to fulfill all of my longings. And so what do I do in the midst of trying to follow Jesus when it gets hard? What do I do? Like, how do I, how do I respond to that? And, and 
I hope as we continue to move through this book of Acts that you obviously don't be surprised when it happens. Like, don't be surprised whenever you face opposition or rejection or ridicule. So many Christians have the attitude of like when something comes at them, they're like, well, how dare you? God, I'm following you and I'm, you know, I'm doing all the good things that you want me to do and I'm trying to be a good citizen and, and how dare you that I have to go through this? Peter would say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What's strange is when something's not happening to you is basically what he's saying. So if we're all living easy lives, we need to be nervous. Like if everything's just going good and going our way, we might need to start checking our, 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 our belief in Jesus and how are we following him, what's going on in our lives. We're staking everything. We're staking everything. We're staking our eternity on a guy who lost his life, who was crucified. So we shouldn't be surprised when the same things happen to us. Like We're saying that's our hero, that's our savior. The one who made everybody mad and they crucified him. So don't be surprised if it happens to you and me. The road leading to the kingdom of God is marked with suffering. It is marked with suffering. And at the same time, there is complete joy in the Holy Spirit. There's real joy in the Holy Spirit. The, the text would end and it would say this, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. They were going from town to town being rejected and persecuted and they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The ones who were getting the trash beat out of them. The ones who are losing their jobs. The ones who are losing their, their homes. Who, the ones who are constantly having to watch their backs are in complete joy. And this is possible because their joy is not rooted in their health, right? Their joy is not rooted in their money, and it's not rooted in their possessions. It's not rooted in their popularity, their platform. It's not rooted in any of those things. But by the love of God in Christ Jesus, that's where their, that's where their joy is rooted. And so that's the one thing that you can't beat out of me. That's the one thing you can't burn down. That's the one thing you can't steal from me. So when you grab a hold of reality that in Christ... In Christ, Paul would say, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are made holy and blameless, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are lavished with the riches of his grace, and you are forever united with God. You can have an eternal joy. No matter what happens, you can have an eternal joy, whatever would come your way. And for, sadly, for, for many of you, uh, God's love, God's God's salvation is good for you at that moment of conversion, and then, then it's good for you to get into heaven, right? And, and, I, and I'm sorry if you've been taught that that's, that's who Jesus is. He's the guy that gets you into heaven. He is, so much, he is the source of all of your joy and all of your longing, and he is with you every single day, and you need to be reminded of the salvation that was given to you by his grace every single day. And you can only do that when you're walking with him, walking in the same direction he's going. And communion with the believers is so important. So important. Like this will, this will become the strength for Paul. Like this, is, this will become the, the fuel for Paul to continue pressing on despite all the hardships that, that he would face. Next week, he's going to be stoned. He's going to go to Lystra. He's going to be stoned. And the text is going to say that the disciples, when they, when they, when they threw him out of the city, they, the disciples went out there and they, and they just kind of went around him. They just kind of encircled him. And when they did that, he rose up, fearlessly pressing on. He rose up and went back into the city because communion with one another is the greatest and most steady source of encouragement that you are going to find on earth. Like this is not a me and Jesus kind of Christianity. Like communion with the believers, being together is very, very important. And so you see Paul, he's not just kind of going to make a disciple here or there, right? He's not just kind of like, oh, I, I, you know, I was working today and a guy came by and I just gave him a little tract and I was able to share with him about Jesus and he went on his way. Like that's not what we see with Paul, man. He would go on planting gatherings of believers because communion with the believers was so important. It was necessary for the survival of the church. It was necessary. And so he would go throughout the known world because communion with one another is able to get you through the tough stuff, right? It's, it, it'll get you through the tough stuff whenever fiery trials come against you. After each missionary journey, he would go to home base. He would celebrate with the church all that God had been doing, all the work that was going on, because communion with one another is what strengthens you when you're weak. And no one was more weak than Paul when he would come home from a missionary journey. 
broken limbs, scars. And he would go home with joy because communion with the believers is what strengthens you. And the point I'm trying to make is it's nearly impossible. And I say nearly impossible because we've seen in history God do some amazing things, but it's nearly impossible to follow Jesus on mission in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution and opposition, and just being this me and Jesus kind of Christianity. It's nearly impossible. And so if you think, well, you know what, I'm just kind of a, I'm a missionary in my own way, and I'm not really associated with the church or anything, that's a bunch of trash. Don't go try to carry the gospel anywhere because you're going to fail miserably. Be part of a body. Be part of a communion of believers who can go along with you, who can encourage you, who can strengthen you, who can pray for you, who can send you. That's, that's very, very important. And so if you're on the floor today and you're busted up from all kinds of hurt, from all kinds of spiritual attack, and you feel like you are way farther from God right now than, than you were before, like if that's you today, I want to ask you the question, are there people in your life who would encircle you right now? Are there people who would come around you right now? Just like they, they're going to do with Paul when he's busted up outside the city. Are there people who's going to come around and who's going who's to encourage you and strengthen you and pray for you and say, let's go. Let's get up and let's go. Let's be fearless. Now, I'm not talking about your social media community. I'm talking about like real people who breathe and like you can see their face and you can actually hear their voice. I'm talking about those kind of people. Do you have those kind of people in your life who are near to you? And if not, you need to set that as a priority. That needs to become a high priority for you that you become a part of a community of believers where you can experience the strength of Jesus. And you need to prioritize being a part of a community where you can both remind and be reminded of the the promises of God through Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded that like the gospel isn't just something that you get saved with as a tool when you were in VBS. Like that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is something that we must continually be reminded of because guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to go to work and I'm going to forget that Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to forget that he has gone before me. I'm going to forget that I don't have to be afraid to to share the gospel with the guy who sits next to me at work because, because I need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. And so it's to be part of this community who would remind and and would remind you and you would be able to remind the promises of Jesus. And you need a place where you can love and serve and pray for one another. Like you need that circle of people that you can serve alongside and, and serve underneath and pray for and love. So I want to read this text as we close. This is going to kind of conclude our time. Um, And it's in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 6. He'd say this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's pray. Uh, God, we, uh, we love you. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you include us in such a pivotal moment in history where um, we are in the now but the not yet of the kingdom of God where you have come and established your authority by the cross and by your resurrection. And now you are in the work of using the church and working through the church to see that every nation under heaven, every tongue, every tribe, every language would come to know and worship Jesus. Father, I have no idea why you would pick such broken people to do such glorious work, but you have redeemed us, you have adopted us, you have called us your sons and your daughters, you've made us part of your family and you've given us your name and you have sent us out. 
So forgive those of us, Father, who are in the room who are walking in a complete different direction from where you're walking and where you're working. Forgive us whenever we ignore the call on our lives and we fight against it, that we rail against it. Father, I would pray in this moment that this word would be an encouragement, that the testimonies that we hear today would be an an encouragement to us to say yes. And wherever you lead, I will follow. And Father, if that is not our prayer and if that is not our proclamation, may our mouths be shut. Let us not make any empty promises. And let us not be foolish enough to think that every step with you is just unicorns and rainbows because, Father, we know that's not the truth. We know that it's hard and it was hard from the very beginning. But one thing is sure, Father, you will not call any of us to go where you have not gone yourself. You will not call us to experience anything that you haven't experienced yourself. And so our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus and in nothing else. We stand on this promise. Father, we worship you for calling us to you, saving us, redeeming us, making us part of your family. When you found us, we hated you. We wanted nothing to do with you, but you pursued us and you kept chasing after us. Let us demonstrate that kind of love for those whom you may call to yourself. And I pray, Father, that in this moment and in this room, Lord, that the gospel would go out and have its effect on each one of our hearts. For those of us, Father, we just need to be reminded of your promise. We need to know that you are with us and that you are walking with us, that you feel very, very far from us right now. And for others, Father, I I realize that we have no relationship with you, that you are no way associated with us. And I would pray, Father, that you would transform hearts in this room. That you would make a bigger family here today through the work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross, through his blood, through his sacrifice. And it is with a hopeful expectation that we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.